Good morning, everyone. Um, as you know, we're in the middle of a series that we've called Resident Alien. When I heard the name the first time, I was a bit like, what is Rob on about? But it just means someone living in a country that is not their own. And um, we've been looking at some of the heroes of our faith. We've looked at Abraham, who obeyed God and believed a promise that would only be seen generations later. We looked at Joseph. Thanks, bud. Um, we follow Joseph's journey from severe persecution to incredible promotion in God. And um, I, as a recap, I'd like to read um, Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16. Actually, I'm going to read it from the message. Each one of these people of faith died not yet having in hand what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it way off in the distance, waved their greeting, and accepted the fact that they were transients in this world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If they were homesick for the old country, they could have gone back any time they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. Don't you love that? Let's listen to um, Deep's testimony and then we'll get on with the book of Ruth. And my wife, Jeshri, we both come from Hindu backgrounds. And both our experiences into our, the introduction into the kingdom of God is almost similar. And that, that's what I want to share with you. In 1988, I was invited by my friend. The same guy who must sit and drink with became a pastor. And he had a prayer meeting in, in his house. And just to get him off my back, I couldn't actually. He kept calling me up. And just to get him off my back, I decided to go into the prayer meeting. I sat there, I heard the sermon, but I wasn't paying attention because I was not, at that moment, taking it too seriously. I said, okay, fine, my whole purpose was here to, to please him. I've done it. When it's over, I'm going home. At the end of the meeting, he introduces me to the, to the speaker, and this, this speaker had a Bible in his hands. I really don't know what made me ask him that, but... I said, can I have the Bible? Is that yours? He said, have you read it before? I said, no. He said, take it, read it. I said, okay, great. I love reading. So this would come in handy, especially when I'm sitting in a bus going to work. So I took the Bible. I didn't read it at home. Put it on my back the next day, went to work and started to read it while I was traveling. Now, I wasn't expecting anything from it. I thought it's another religious experience. Everybody, every land has its religion. And probably this is another scripture telling me their perspective about God. What I did not anticipate was a journey beginning. And when I started to read the Bible, everything started to fall into place. The questions that I'd asked God, the questions that I'd asked religious readers. You see, even my own parents could not 
explain certain of the scriptures, the Hindu scriptures to me because they didn't have the answer. So to me, reading the Bible, being introduced to the Bible, was as though I was sitting and reading the heart and mind of God. And it's amazing. I would ask him questions concerning the scripture and before the end of the day, he would answer it through scripture. So my foundation was laid based on scripture, not through experience, nothing spectacular, not through a miracle, just plain scripture. From, from Hinduism, from a, from a nominal religion, into coming to discovering who the true living God is and how he has spoken and, and revealed himself through his son and his word. So for us, that this, this was a defining moment into all eternity that God in his graciousness drew us from the kingdom of darkness into the light. That's amazing. Um, I want to start singing with our friends next door. <laughs> uh, we listen to this uh, worship music at home with the kids, so I'm quite familiar with it. <laughs> anyway, when we get saved into this glorious salvation story, of God, we, um, like we've just heard out of Deep's testimony, each of our lives become just that, living in the now, but looking and living for heaven, for our future, for eternity, which we have been saved into. So today we go on a journey with Ruth, a Moabite woman who um, followed a God who she didn't grow up knowing. So very similar to Deep's testimony, and um, who laid down her uh, life for a person who didn't have anything left to offer in return. A servant girl who was plucked out of a story of misfortune and brought into the salvation story of Jesus Christ. I find such um, familiar themes of life in this story. I find extreme heartache and loss and suffering and doubt, but I also see hope and purpose and most of all redemption. So the book of Ruth is set in a time when judges ruled Israel. Um, It begins with an Ephrathite Ephrathite family, um, Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, moving from Bethlehem to Moab because there was a famine in the land. So they settled there, and shortly after, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. After that, his two sons then married Moabite women, um, Orpah and Ruth. And um, within the next 10 years, the two husbands died. So Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law and no grandchildren to carry on the family name. In the meantime, God had provided food for his people, and the famine was over. So in this heartbroken state, Naomi wanted to go back to her people. And um, she tells her two daughters-in-law to go back to their families. Um, She blessed them, and she begged them to go. 
And Orpah eventually leaves, but Ruth clings to Naomi, and she persists. Because for Ruth, there was no hope left in the life that she had there. And she yearned for another place, for another country, for a place where she could dream again, for a place that she could hope for. And um, she clung to Naomi. Her hope made her tenacious and resilient. It, It made her start to fight for something that she maybe not believed in yet, but wanted to believe in. So um, in verse 16 of the first chapter, Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And then in verse 22, so Naomi returned to Mo- uh, from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now, if the story had ended there, it would have been quite sad and depressing because it's just these two women who've lost everything um, and had no hope left. Uh, Imagine Naomi, this woman who had to leave her home years ago because of famine, um, lost her husband and two sons and basically their family name within a scope of 10 years. And I can imagine that at the beginning of her marriage and even having had her children, the journey ahead of her looked full of possibility and adventure. And now there was nothing left. It was a desperately hopeless situation. She, she felt um, betrayed in a way by God. She says he, um, his hand had gone out against her, that he had caused misfortune upon her, that he had caused her to be bitter. And she tells, when she tells her daughters-in-law, this really struck me when I prepared this week, when she told them to go back to their families, she told them to go back to their gods. These two women who had married into a God-fearing family was told by this woman who had become so hopeless to go back to their gods. And you know what, friends, maybe there's someone here today that feels like that, that you are just so hopeless. There's nothing proving the faithfulness of God to you. There's nothing that you can see on the horizon that shows you the kindness of God, that you feel discouraged with nowhere to go, that you feel that you've started on a journey with God, but he's brought you back empty. And I want to tell you something. Their story did not finish there. And your story is not finished. God is still writing. He is still busy with your story as he is busy with these. It is not over until the return of Jesus. And even when I say then it's over, it's only the suffering and loss that is over. Then it's just glory from there. Isn't that encouraging that we can at any time lift our eyes, even with the discouragement of life resting on our soldiers, on our shoulders, and sometimes on our soldiers, um, and just know that there is a better life to come, that it doesn't matter what you're going through today, and this week, and this month, and even for some of us for years, that there will not be pain, there will not be sickness, there will not be loss, and suffering, and hopelessness, and discouragement in the life to come, that it will only be glory, I mean, oh, just awesome. Thank you, Jesus. That is just amazing. Um, In the Psalms, we read, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. 
The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope is in his unfailing love. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. So, let's see how this hope that Ruth had, that Naomi still has to get, is outworking itself. So I will read um, Ruth chapter 2 from verse 1. Actually, I'm just going to read it from here. Is it up there? Thank you. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind, anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Hope. She has hope. She steps out to do something. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, so she didn't know this, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. So Boaz then tells Ruth to continue gleaning in his uh, fields where she'd be taken care of and she'd be protected And she couldn't understand why she had so much favor with this guy as a foreigner, number one, and as a complete stranger to him. So at the end of one day's work, the first day she she goes home um, to Naomi with leftovers from a, a festive lunch, it seems, and enough grain that she had gleaned in one day to last them for five days. And um, when Naomi found out that all of this had come from Boaz, she, she, it seems like she just exploded. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And there's a spark of hope. There's a spark of hope. God has shown his goodness. So she tells Ruth that uh, Boaz is one of the kinsmen redeemers. And uh, Naomi could see the providence of God, that Ruth had ended up in a field belonging to Boaz without knowing that that is the field that she ended up in. And also the kindness of God, of Boaz's um, response to finding out who this woman was, the kindness that is bestowed on her, the provision and the the favor. Hope is a wonderful thing. It sets sets us apart. And um, at this point for me, you feel the mood of the story changing. And all of a sudden, you want to continue reading because you know God is up to something. Something is about to happen. You can feel the anticipation. So uh, where are we? In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Can I just insert there? Paul's light and momentary troubles including includes beating, stoning, being imprisoned, persecution, 
these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the thing that you are going through will pass, friends, but the character that is forming in your heart is for eternity. God is bringing this thing that, he, that is happening in your life to the good of what is happening inside of you. So Naomi, having found this new hope, becomes intentional. And at the beginning of chapter 3, she tells Ruth to dress up, to put on perfume, to go to the threshing floor that night where Boaz would be, to lie down at his feet when he settles down for the night. And uh, Ruth does exactly as she's told. So let's read from verse 9. So he realizes someone is at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The ki- this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning but got up before anyone could be recognized. So Boaz was a kinsman redeemer of this family, which meant if any of the men in this family died, he would step in and marry the widower to continue that guy's family name in future. And um, Boaz is a picture or a type of Jesus, who when when we were orphans, when we were enemies of God, he came in, he stepped in as our kingsman redeemer, and he literally bought us for the Father with his blood and his life. And we are included for eternity in the lineage of Christ. We are children of God because our kingsman redeemer, Jesus, has bought us. Awesome. In chapter 4, we see that um, the, the closer relative is not able to, to redeem Ruth, and Boaz steps in and fulfill his duty. In verse 13 of chapter 4, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So apart from the fact that um, 
Boaz is a type or a picture of Jesus, he literally brings Ruth into the lineage of Jesus Christ. By Ruth and and Boaz getting married and having a son, we see in Matthew 1 uh, the the genealogy of Christ. So um, it says, Boaz was the father of Obed, and then it says, whose mother was Ruth. And she's one of the five women in the entire lineage of Christ, from Abraham to Jesus, God mentions five women, and Ruth is one of those women, a Moabites, a foreigner, someone who wasn't born into the God story, is brought into the light, brought into this adventure and this eternal life with Jesus. So friends, this is a story of hope, a hope in a better future, a hope in a place to come, and most of all, our hope is in Jesus. I can't tell you how many times when I feel um, that I can't handle something, I'm like, Christ in me, my hope of glory. Do you know, he is the only hope I have of getting anything done any day of my life. I can promise you that. And I mean, he is just, the hope that he brings is, is supernatural. It is a hope that, that changes atmospheres. It's a hope that changes manifestations of situations. And you know what? He is there. He is there at every moment, at any time. At any time you can go, Lord, I need to draw on that hope right now. I have, my hands are empty. I have nothing. I mean, the other night when I got up with Ella, I don't know how many, like the fourth or the fifth or the sixth time, I just, um, tongue-in-cheek, I said, you know, Lord, in the word you say, you grant sleep to those you love. i just like to mention that to you. <laughs> so I think it was two nights ago. So anyway, um, Taryn took Noah for the morning yesterday, and when she dropped him off, she um, gave me something. And um, it was a, a little frame, and inside it was written, you are loved. So I thought, oh, you have such a sense of humor, Lord, because... He just told me, you are loved, my child. Even though you are getting up three, four, five, six times a night, you are loved, you know. And he knows what we need. I might think I need eight hours sleep a night, but he knows. It's not the reality of a mom of young kids. Yet he knows that by giving me that little letter, it will bless my heart and I, you know, I can laugh with him and and continue on, on our journey. This is a story of redemption. Through all the hardships, the tests, and the suffering in this story, we see God's handwork. We see him ending the famine. We see him tying Ruth and Naomi together. We see him saving Boaz for Ruth. I mean, anyone could have married Boaz and come into the lineage of Christ, right? If you think about it. But he saved Boaz, an older man, for this woman, woman of strong character. This is a story of righteousness, a zeal for doing what is right. I mean, Ruth just portrays such depth of character throughout the story. I'm so encouraged by her, you know. When her mother-in-law is down in the dumps and woe to me and my life is ended and I'm bitter and God is horrible and all of those things, she's like, no, we are, I'm coming with you. Your God is my God. I'm going to work in the field. Tell me what to do. What? She's just so ready without any physical evidence of anything better happening to her than to Naomi. 
This is a story of tests. And I know that it is difficult for some people, some people's theology, but the Bible is full of tests, stories of tests. And this life is full of tests. And it is full of suffering. And it is full of, of persecution. And although we we pray and we contend for heaven to invade earth and for every single person to be healed, we will not see perfect heaven on earth until we get to heaven one day, friends. There are things in this life that I cannot, I, I cannot explain. We pray for one person and they are healed. We pray for the next person and they are not. We cannot base our theology on that. We based our theology on the fullness that Christ has bought for us on the cross. That is the truth. That is what we aim for. When we don't see it manifesting, we preach hope. We preach that there is a better tomorrow coming, that there is a time coming when this person will also walk in the manifestation of healing. It might not be in this life. That is the reality of this life because we live in a fallen world, but we preach hope. We preach Jesus, and that is what, who we aim for. This is a story of purpose. God created us to live a life connected to him. And there's a, connected, there's a connection between the ordinary events of our lives and the significance that God is building in us and in the world around us. Everything we do in obedience to God is significant. The simple things in life. Serving a widowed mother-in-law, working in a field, bearing a child to an older man. These things were so instrumental to this story that made its way to the Bible that we live out as the Word of God today. It's not about what is happening to me today and how I'm feeling and what my emotions and my hormones are doing to me. It is about striving for that place and resting in that place and living from that place. Life is a temporary assignment. Psalm 39 verse 4 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. And I've heard this, this um, scripture preached in quite a depressing way, but for me, it brings hope. Because when I look at lives devastated, when I look at wars, when I look at uncertainty and a lack of safety, when I look at insecurity of, uh, in people's lives of where to go next, when I look at a refugee crisis, then I need to remember that life is a fleeting moment. Do what God has called you to do, but have your hope in the life to come. Earth is our temporary residence. And the Bible compares it to, to a foreign country. And all of us are very familiar with, with that. We have residency visas in our passports saying that we are allowed to live here. But our passports, it's from another place. It's from another place. We are just here for a time. None of us will die, will die here of old age one day. We will move back to our country. And that is the hope that we have in heaven, that we are going 
to that place. We are called to be Christ's ambassadors. In 1 Peter 2 verse 11 in the message, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. So I'm not saying don't live today. I'm not saying don't be real about what is going on in your life. There's nothing worse than someone being ridden with an illness and you ask them how they're doing, like, oh, no, I'm healed. I'm healed. Well, actually, you have, like, stuff on your face. But let's be real, friends. Some things are happening to us and to people around us. Let's not be holier than thou and you know, I am blessed, I am blessed. We are all blessed. Some things are very real though. So it's not, it's not with, with um, I'm not being fake when I say we live for that place. I'm very aware of the things that we are going through every day in our lives on earth. And those things are very real. But those are the things that we persevere through and that forms the character in our heart that Jesus is looking for, that takes us from glory to glory in him. Paul was faithful, but he was put in prison. John the baptizer was beheaded. Millions of people have been martyred. They've lost everything. They've come to the end of a life with nothing to show it, to, to show for it. But you know, that was not the end. On the other extreme, we have others who have been richly rewarded on earth. Joseph was made second in command over a country who he actually had no inheritance in. David was made king. Do you know what? They came at the end of their lives, and for them too, it wasn't the end, you know? We see in the Psalms so often God says, don't look at other people and think, why is it going so well with them? And then look at your life and go, why isn't that it going so well with me? We cannot walk another person's road. And I promise you, from the outside on social media and Instagram and Facebook and all of those things, everything looks perfect. I don't know if you've seen those pictures where they reveal the truth. So it's like the picture is taken like this, but then really what's happened, if you just scan out a little bit, it's like a small little model car in a background and like craziness behind it, you know? And it's such a, we just should be very careful not to put our trust in those things, not to look at someone else's life and go, it looks so shiny. I promise you God is on a journey with that person. I promise you. There's not one person I know who just lives in heavenly bliss. I can promise you that. Some of us do fake it better than others, though. <laughs> See, we're not completely happy on earth because we're not supposed to be happy here, completely happy. If we were, would we have yearned for that place? If I was able to live my life in my own strength, would I pull on the Holy Spirit every day? I wouldn't. I am a doer. I am very much a performer. It irritates me when, when I'm not in control of stuff. But you know what? If I was in control, I would have just gotten about my life and I would have just done what I needed to do. And even though I would have done the right thing in walking with God, I would not have depended on him the way that I need to depend on him. So why do we waste so much time and energy 
and concern on the things that are temporary, friends. Um, when, um, oh, her name is Ruthie. I wanted to use an example. Ruthie was here with our ladies' conference. She said, do you know what? Sometimes we all just need a little heaven holiday. And I love that phrase, and it stuck with me. So I know all of our lives look different. A house full of little kids is just my reality. But you know what? Just taking a two-minute heaven holiday, Lord, just show me again what it's about. There. There. I see it. Okay. Okay. We can go on. And he is so faithful in that, friends. He meets us where we are at. He lifts our head. He looks into our eyes. And he shows us eternity. That is the place where we live. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What a wonderful sermon. Won't you all please stand with me? We're not done yet. Joy, why don't you grab the guitar there, but? <laughs>